Welcome to News Data's Energy West, a podcast about the energy industry today and where it's going tomorrow. Hello, I'm Dan Catchpole, reporter with News Data's Clearing Up, and with me today is Abigail Sawyer, reporter with News Data's California Energy Markets, and we're here with some of our top stories from uh, the, the week. Abigail, happy Labor Day, belatedly. How are you doing? Well, I'm, I'm kind of warm, warmer than usual here in San Francisco and uh, doing what we can to hope, hope that the lights stay on. <laughs> but. Well, there you go. <laughs> hope springs eternal, I guess. Yeah. That's a bit well, cooler so up here. And, yeah. Well, uh, I'm, I'm, hoping, I'm hoping they stay on right with you. Thanks. So, or for you. Well, anyways. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we've got a bunch of interesting stories this week for listeners. Uh, some news out of California, leg- out of California legislature uh, about the future of Diablo Canyon nuclear plant and some other energy-related bills. Uh, and then the heat wave, like you said, uh, yep. uh, and the uh, some some steps on wildfire reduction efforts and uh, from the Northwest. Well, and actually just the West, some big news about uh, Southwest Power Pools Markets Plus proposal to you know, another step towards uh, marketization or greater market collaboration in the West. Uh, yeah. Then a uh, lawsuit affecting coal strip power plant up in Montana. And uh, FERC making a decision, well, a recommendation on the lower Klamath Dam. Dam. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, Abigail, uh, can you get us started? Tell us about what's so. going on with Dia- Diablo Canyon. Yeah, I yeah, am just well, over my words left and right today. <laughs> but yeah, Diablo Canyon. Yeah, hard after three days off. Um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, the future of Diablo Canyon looks, well, it's still uncertain. I won't put it that way, but it it's a lot likely to be a little bit longer. The California legislature passed a bill which would allow the extension of operations for another five years. The two units are set to close in 2024 and 2025. But as you know, uh, issues with making sure that the lights stay on and that we can meet our greenhouse gas emissions goals that have been otherwise set up in by the legislature uh, are Becoming increasingly important as things get warmer and other base load generation retires. So the legislature passed this bill, which establishes, uh, allows an extension by, to, of the power plant and also streamlines some permitting. And as much as the state can do that, I mean, there is a lot of permitting at the state level, but of course the NRC always has the last word on nuclear plants. So it, it w- while it would limit state agency review of relicensing to 180 days and exempt the plant from the California Environmental Quality Act, it remains to be seen, you know, what will happen in terms of building up this plant and making it ready to keep going. Yeah. Uh, since it, you know, it has been planned for retirement, um, since 2018. So it's a, it's a pretty interesting thing, but we're talking about 2,200 megawatts. So. That really makes a difference uh, when you're, you know, just looking just at a heat a wave, bit. et cetera. Yeah, yeah. So it, the the bill allowed for an 
extension up to five years. So yeah. uh, what does that mean? Are there steps like this? It What has to happen to get it to five years? It sounds like there's some decision points along the way. So the bill includes steps to accelerate clean energy resources and has an off-ramp that allows Diablo Canyon to be retired if new clean resources are added and deemed adequate to substitute for the capacity that Diablo provides. So that's an interesting point. You know, it's like a, we can wait and see. And it's an as-needed sort of thing as we keep going. So maybe it won't be both units all the way up or, you know, maybe we'll retire one sooner or something. Uh, We've seen that sort of thing before with fossil fuel plants retiring. And it also excludes Diablo from any other new resource plans that utilities put out. So, or, or that the state puts out, you know, you can't rely on it. So it's a hedge, (laughs) I I would say. And it also um, provides for funding uh, by the legislature. It includes a $1.4 billion loan to Pacific Gas and Electric. However, it only appropriates $600 million for the loan right now. Further legislative action would be necessary to, you know, bring up the, the full uh, amount of that $1.4 billion. Well, yeah, it certainly uh, is critical to, like you said, the future of California and not just the grid, but uh, the clean energy goals. So yeah. everybody will be watching the future of this. Uh, that progresses. Uh, yeah. speak, speaking of progression, uh, uh, so Markets Plus, SPP, Southwest Power Pool, they uh, got a few more buy-ins for their proposal, uh, the Markets Plus. Six Northwest utilities came out uh, last week to say that they are committed to funding the next step in developing this market proposal that would include a day ahead as well as um, imbalance markets. Uh, So let's see, the folks, Avista, Chelan County PUD, Grant County PUD, PowerX, Puget Sound Utility, or Puget Sound Energy, and Tacoma Power all said they are uh, funding the next development. Uh, there follows a similar commitment or the same commitment from Bonneville Power Administration. And uh, I guess today, well, Tuesday, uh, September 6th, Salt River Project, one of the largest utilities in Arizona, came out in uh, to say that they're uh, chipping in to move it forward as well. So this market proposal markets plus proposal it's one of the two competing proposals for greater market collaboration in the west the other one being uh, california iso their day ahead market building on their successful energy imbalance market which has a huge footprint across the west so yeah, it, uh, it is but just because they're already there they certainly don't have uh, in edge, every utility has said they are very much open. Even participants in Ka- uh, Kaiso's EIM have said, "Look, we are very much ready. You know, if SVP has a better proposal, if that's what makes sense for us. Just because we're in the EIM now, does not mean that locks us in or limits our future decisions." That's right, um, and well, and there, you know, SPP also has its energy 
imbalanced service market. Um, yeah. and several utilities have joined that and rather than the EIM. So they're already participating with SPP, but likewise, every, everyone I've talked to, and I, I cover a lot of states most of the time, uh, and, they're all saying, yeah, we're going to watch and see. We want to really want to compare the offerings. So, you know, it's, it's pretty interesting. So I was kind of excited and surprised to see that SRP is ready to jump in this morning. So with yeah. us, with Markets Plus. So certainly, uh, yeah, big, big development for SPP. And it should be said, most of these utilities have made similar commitments to CAISO. Speaking of California, what else? came out of the legislative session that just wrapped up. Yeah, well, some other interesting stuff is uh, California passed, the legislature passed the Clean Energy Jobs and Affordability Act of 2022. And so there were a lot of sponsors there, you can imagine. It creates interim targets to reach that 100% carbon neutrality by 2045, uh, incremental goals of 90% by 2030 coming right up. Uh, Keeping Diablo, Diablo online would certainly help with that. And 95% by 2040. So there's that. And um, policy, uh, eligible renewable energy resources and zero carbon resources to supply 90% of all retail sales of electricity to end users by December 31st, 2035. So yeah, moves it along. Uh, and SB 884 requires the California Public Utilities Commission to expedite large utility plans for undergrounding their power lines. So that's definitely an interesting mm-hmm. development. Uh, you know, PG&E has had a plan to put 10,000 miles of line underground for a while now. And uh, this bill, as you know, expedite in California terms, I think sometimes that means uh, something a little different elsewhere, but we're still talking about maybe 18 months out before they could really do anything. Uh, the um, Office of Energy Infrastructure Safety would have to take plans before the CPUC, which would also have nine months. So it's nine months for the Office of Energy Infrastructure Safety and then another nine months for the PUC to approve it. Uh, that's interesting. We got yeah. some bills on carbon capture. Uh, Moving the direct air as well as carbon capture utilization and sequestration, which is a bit controversial. Some folks are calling that a gift to the oil and gas industry, allowing them to keep operating. And, you know, of course, carbon capture in many ways, you know, we, it suggests a certain promise of base load without so much of the bad stuff, but will it be economical? Yeah. Um, that's kind of remains to be seen. Yeah, that is by no means a slam dunk solution to yeah. the question of operating those uh, those facilities, or I mean, even what the actual impact is in terms of uh, emissions. You know, underscoring that point about undergrounding equipment. Uh, last week, uh, or August twenty sixth, a uh, second lawsuit was filed over in the cause of the McKinney fire last year. Uh, which burned 60,000 acres. Uh, this one alleging few, some residents alleging that uh, Pacific Corps, its equipment caused the fire and that uh, Pacific Corps is responsible. So yeah, there's some big stakes in terms of yeah. the, what, how they manage their equipment. There's Definitely. a lot of, lot of focus, um, I mean, there's... a lot more focus on that as, as listeners Definitely. know well. 
Yeah, definitely. And there's no question undergrounding is expensive, but uh, as we're finding out, wildfires are a lot more expensive and, you know, not all of those expenses are quantified in dollars either. You know, there's a, so much devastation and upending of lives or loss of life as, as has happened in the McKinney, which it's still, still raging as far as I understand, right? It's not. Yeah. You know, I said last year, I'm sorry, uh, it started in late July. Yeah. So correction, apologize yeah. for the error. Yeah. Uh, let's chalk it up to the three day weekend. <laughs> But, yeah, yeah, a uh, lot speaking, of fires. It's hard to keep track of them. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Fortunately, there's fewer this year. But uh, speaking yes. of wildfires, uh, there's some development on wildfire safety plans in California recently too. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's it's largely procedural, but um, coming out of the legislature a few years back, actually, we had plans to make sure that the wildfire, well, that the utilities are planning ahead for wildfire. So they have to have wildfire mitigation plans signed off by the CPUC. But again, it's the Office of Energy Infrastructure Safety that takes the first look at that. And their wildfire safety advisory board makes recommendations and moves things ahead. So they've done that. And in addition to that, they they came out with uh, safety culture assessment guidelines for utilities in California, which which go beyond Wildfires, although wildfires are a key part of it, it has guidelines for vegetation management, the impact of public safety power shutoffs, that sort of thing. But, it, you know, they're also looking at fall prevention and other issues than just the safety culture at a utility. Because if, if there's a, you know, measure twice, cut once sort of approach uh, to safety, then a lot of accidents can be prevented. And that's, of course the best best way to solve them is to not have them <laughs> so. <laughs> certainly well yeah especially when it comes to i mean not just accidents but uh in these wildfire lawsuits are are not cheap and of course i mean most of all the human uh, the damage to people homes and uh, you know ecosystems is, Absolutely. is hard to really drive home the significance of that uh, across the West. Absolutely. Yeah. So much. And, you know, just as we do everything we can to try to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions, you know, a massive wildfire sends that much carbon into the air too. So it really undercuts all of those efforts. So, you know, undergrounding, like I said, starts to look a lot more affordable despite it's kind of, you know, 10 X uh, formula. For, for cost when comparing to overhead wires. So, yeah. So, be, speaking of carbon emissions, um, I, you know, within the past few months, I, I heard a, a state official in Montana raise concerns about the amount of carbon that's put out from carbonated beverages and making a <laughs> statement about the, how that, you know, rivaled emissions from the coal industry, or I, I forget the exact specifics, but. Uh, it was an interesting take on the carbon emissions debate, one that I had not heard previously. Oh, uh, yeah. It is, just for the record, the amount of carbon in carbonated beverages is infinitesimally small in terms of when it comes to greenhouse gas emissions. So All right. That's... Don't worry. <laughs> it's not on, that is not going to move the needle. What okay. is going to move the needle <laughs> it's is... It's a relief. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The future of coal plants, uh, and one of the biggest in the West, 
and one of the biggest in the Northwest, the coal strip power plant in Montana, it had an important step forward in its determining it, its fate. A federal judge ruled that a couple of lawsuits involving the owners of it uh, can move forward. They'd been under stay. So the one of the owners and operators, Talon Energy, has been in bankruptcy proceedings since last May. That uh, is part of that. The federal judge in that case ordered a stay on a couple of lawsuits affecting about the future of the plant. And kind of the most pressing one is determining some specifics over how the ownership agreement works that determine how much the each of the six owners is required to invest in the future of the plant. Now, this is important because four of the owners, uh, Pacific Core, Puget Sound Energy, Portland General Electric, and Avista are based in or have you know, services service territory in Oregon and Washington, and they're required, they're under state mandates to cut car, get out of the carbon or the coal business, essentially, uh, in the next few years. And so they want out. And for like the Washington utilities, they are actually, uh, the legislature passed the, the mandate that they passed, prohibits them from investing in uh, making investments that would keep a coal powered facility operating past the 2025 deadline. So uh, this is a big fight over how much people have to pay, you know, in maintenance each year. Uh, and, and basically, can these four owners use the annual capital investment and in, uh, operating maintenance budgets at, to effectively shut the plant down by not making future investments. The other two owners, wow. Talon and Northwestern Energy, which is based in Montana, want to keep it operating uh, you know, into the foreseeable future. So very significant for the Northwestern grid, how that Definitely. plays out. Nice. And you know, it's uh, we need to, you know, there's clearly a trend towards obviously, to say the least, getting out of carbon emitting resources, but at the same time, as you point out with Diablo, we need baseload resources to deal with things like heat waves, which, as yeah. you mentioned at the at the top of this recording, you guys are dealing with some heat in California, some late summer heat. Yeah, and that's, you know, up north especially, that's when we expect things to get hot is right about now. And we've got kids back in school, so that adds to load. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we still have these these long, fairly long days. Um, with plenty of sunshine and we actually were breaking records over the weekend, um, 116 in some Bay Area cities. So that's wow. a couple of Bay Area cities. It was up in the nineties in San Francisco, which is all but unheard of. I mean, you know, we've, we've seen triple digits before, but it, it feels really hot. Maybe I'm just losing my capacity to deal with it or something, but feels hotter than ever. It's just. Everything feels like melting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 116. That is. 116. I can't even. I mean, we had a few days where I, last year during that heat wave where he hit like, I think, 108, 109. And man, every additional degree, it, it's right. exponential at that point. Yeah. Like. Yeah. And I was just, just looking over headlines today. It's like breaking, breaking records at the airport in San Francisco, breaking records in San Diego for the date, you know, um, 
by a degree or two here and there. And yeah, these uh, were two Bay Area cities, Livermore and Fairfield, both hit 116. And, and so yeah, I'm sure listeners will remember the the problems with uh, maintaining the grid back in August 2020 in California. How is the grid holding up now? Well, it's doing a lot better. And uh, yeah, Jason Fordney, editor of California Energy Markets, wrote about that in his bottom lines column this week. You know, we've we've made a lot of changes since then. So, so far, so good. We haven't had to, there, there haven't been any calls for rolling blackouts, but they're, you know, we're on a four-day conservation alert, a flex alert, as they're called. But, you know, we've got uh, a lot of things that are different. Our three gigawatts of battery resources that are available now that weren't there two years ago. So that's a huge change. Um, the, you know, California's really taken this all hands on deck approach to avoiding outages of that sort, <laughs> um, in, in this heat event. But unfortunately, there have been some utilities that have reported outages because of equipment failures related to heat. So. I think, you know, when you're a, when you're a consumer, it's just the power is out. <laughs> like, you know, you want to know that your utility has the resources to keep things online 99% of the time or more, frankly, I think more. But, uh, when it's out, it's out. And whether that's because a transformer wasn't built to, to handle this kind of heat or something like that, or because you actually had to like rotate the blackouts. Um, all you know is that your air conditioner doesn't work or your food might go bad. <laughs> I think most of the time. Um, so yeah. as long as the lights stay on. Yeah. Well, uh, let's see, we're running longer than we, a little bit longer than we usually do for listeners. So I'll, I'll just make the last thing here pretty quick. Um, so FERC staff recommended removing and decommissioning four lower Klamath dams that have a combined capacity of 163 megawatts. They're owned by Pacific Core, which actually was one of the requesting parties for this uh, removing these dams, partially because one of the reasons cited was uh, fish mitigation and lack of fish, fish passages. So certainly a win for fish mitigation here on the Klamath River. Uh, I The removals could be done as soon as 2024 so wow yeah well so that's that's all for me dan catchpole uh thank you for listening as always please rate and review this podcast in apple podcast spotify or wherever you listen and if you like it let other people people know about it you can find me on twitter i'm at the catchpole and abigail you're at on twitter at energy underscore abigail Thanks for listening to Newsdata's Energy West. You can read more of our coverage at newsdata.com. Nobody covers energy in the West like we do. Follow us on Twitter. CEM is at CEM Newsdata. That's the letters CEM Newsdata. Clearing Up is at CU Newsdata. Again, that's the letters CU Newsdata. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you back here next week. You've been listening to News Data's Energy West, a podcast about the energy industry today and where it's going tomorrow.